Welcome to the Hired by Passion podcast. I'm your host, Marcel Richard, and I will be interviewing artists and entrepreneurs on how they were able to escape the 9 to 5 and turn their passion into an income. Hello, and thanks for listening to the Hired by Passion podcast. I have a great interview for you today. This is someone who lives probably 25 kilometers from me, but I've never met in person. I've talked to him several times on Facebook and on Skype. And I've also listened to a lot of episodes of the Natural Born Coaches podcast. I have for you today the coach that coaches coaches. That's right. The coach that coaches coaches. I have for you Mark Moini. Mark's on a mission to help coaches build a stronger business. He's a lifelong entrepreneur and he's achieved this with his daily podcast, Natural Born Coaches, as well as his Accelerate for Clients one-on-one and group programs. He frequently makes media appearances and is a contributor for Entrepreneur.com. In the episode, we talk about business coaching and how to start in the field and how he's used his past failures to build some resilience and current success. We also talk about how not to hang on to old school mentality that internet business are not a viable way to make an income. We take a bit of time to talk about haters and anonymous messages on the internet. And we talk about the top lesson Mark learned in doing over 400 interviews in the Natural Born Courses podcast. And then finally, we talk about what his top productivity tip is. So without any further ado, here is Mark Moini. So I'm here with Mark Moini. I really wanted to get you on the show because you're local. It's kind of interesting to see somebody from my neck of the woods who seems to be doing very well with your podcast. So I wanted to ask you first, like when you meet someone for the first time, Uh, and they ask you the famous question, what do you do? What's your answer to that question? Well, first, thanks for having me on the show, Marcel. And uh, no pressure for me, but you've had some amazing comics on the show. And my sense of humor has been called lame by my little, <laughs> my seven-year-old son thinks I'm lame at times and stuff. So I'm not going to be your funniest guest, but hopefully I can <laughs> that's share fine. some stuff. Um, that's a great question. When I get asked by people locally in our neck of the woods, what do you do? Uh, they tend to look at me like I have a couple heads because I don't just say I'm a coach. I say, I'm a coach who coaches coaches. <laughs> and they say, what the heck is that? And then I mentioned podcast and podcasting is you're, you know, it's becoming more well known here in New Brunswick, but it's still got a ways to go to compared to some bigger markets. Um, not as many people are into podcasting, but it's getting better. So yeah, I just say, look, I'm a coach. And then if they look at me and they think I'm, are you in the NBA or NFL or, you know, one of the major sports, I say, no, that not that type of coaching. <laughs> yeah. It is very, um, the, the term coaching seems to be very associated with sports. Do you find that it's a, it's kind of hard to tell people of what a business coaching is? Yeah, it's getting better. I've noticed a big difference even in the three years since I started. I'm in my third year now and more people seem to be aware of it. But really, the coaching industry overall is still relatively young. I mean, you saw beginnings of it really in the 90s, but it's really with the advent of social media and uh, the stuff that people are, are really getting to know about the benefits of it. So it's not as strange now that people would be hiring coaches to help them. You know, in the past, uh, coaching was seen in a lot of ways. If uh, let's say in the corporate world, if there was an employee that was having trouble and was on their halfway out the door and they were the black sheep of the office, well, management might hire a coach to help them, you know, to help save them. Well, now it's viewed differently where um, in that situation, a lot of managers would hire a coach for a rising star to help support them, not 
a troublemaker. <laughs> so coaching is seen as a good thing. If it's done properly, coaching should give a good return of investment, probably three to five times of what you're paying the coach. Yeah. So something I, I often struggle with myself as well is by doing this podcast, I'm interviewing all these interesting guests who have all these stories. And I'm, I'm learning a lot of lessons as well as my own personal reading that I do feel I have some value to bring to people who are just starting out, right? Because I feel like I'm one page ahead of them in, in some regards because I've been looking at this for a while now. But at the same time, I have this weird feeling that coaching is a bit like a multi-level marketing thing, as in, let's say I go get a coach. And I learn some things and then I coach someone else beneath me in a kind of way. And I feel that there's so many coaches out there right now that I, in, in my mind, I'm thinking there's definitely people not getting the return on investment that they have in coaching. So do you have any advice for people who are thinking that way? And I know it's a mindset kind of thing, but you know, how do you get into coaching by knowing that maybe a lot of people that you're going to try to help won't be able to put up their end of the bargain to be able to live up to what the coaching can bring? Not to knock network marketing. I'm not the biggest fan of MLMs. Uh, so um, I hope it's not perceived that way. Yeah. <laughs> But again, not to, not to knock network marketing. The thing with coaching is, which is good and bad, the barrier to entry is very low. So people can say they're a coach very easily. You could roll out of bed this morning and print up a few business cards at Staples and say, hey, I'm a coach. And it's good in some ways because the barrier to entry isn't so high that people that have something to offer can offer it. But the other side of that, as you alluded to, is that there's people who maybe shouldn't be coaching yet. You know, um, not nobody's perfect. Uh, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. No one's perfect. But there are people out there who are starting coaching that really should get their crap together first, yeah. <laughs> you know, in their own lives. And I've said that to people before. Because coaching is very attractive. People say I can work anytime, you know, I can work from a laptop all over the world if I want. I can make, you know, six, seven figures and I can impact a lot of lives and stuff. There's a lot to love about coaching, but you have to be in a position where you can actually help people. There has to be more to it than just liking the lifestyle and the potential income and stuff. You have to make sure that you can deliver, that you can give value to people first. And unfortunately, like anything, there are a lot of people in the industry that aren't there yet, you know, yeah. and they could be there. They could definitely improve if, but the best coaches are ones that aren't afraid to invest in themselves. And I'm spending thousands of dollars a year on programs and workshops and courses and people helping me. And I have to always stay ahead of the game and make sure that, that I'm constantly growing because that's what people are paying me for. I have to make sure I can help them. Yeah. But I think that's a weird line in, in how some people who are really full of themselves that wouldn't be a good coach are the ones really getting into it. And then other people who feel that who probably have a lot to offer, but maybe don't have the self-confidence to do it are kind of holding back. So how do you know when it's time that you, you have enough chops to become a coach? Well, you, you don't want to be so afraid to jump out there that you're constantly in planning mode. And I've seen people do this before where they want to have the perfect business plan and they always want to read one more book and they want to take one more course and they want to take all these certifications before they feel that they're ready to get out there and coach people. And a lot of times I feel they're doing that because they're afraid to get out there. And in that case, I encourage people, you have to get out there and do it. It's kind of like uh, riding a bicycle. You know, I can read about how to ride a bicycle in a book all I want, but until you actually get on the bike and try it and fall off the bike. You should have seen me when I was however old, five or six years old, learned to ride a bike. I had bruises all over my body and scrapes on my knees and everything else. 
but that's how you learn. So you have to, you want to prepare, say, if you're becoming a coach, you want to make sure you're ready, but you don't want to think about it for years <laughs> and delay action. You want to get out there and help people. And if you've got a gift that you can help people, then you should want to get out there as soon as possible to do it. Yeah. But is there any kind of more specific things that people should kind of look for that, you know, to be ready or maybe to wait a bit? Well, the first thing you have to do, which a surprising number of people don't do, is they don't identify what they want to be doing for coaching, like who they want to be helping. And that should be, you would think, common sense, right? If you're becoming a coach, it's kind of like if you're opening a store on Main Street, you have to decide what you're going to be selling. <laughs> are you going to be selling clothes? Or are you going to be selling food, uh, books or whatnot? So that's the first step is to say, okay, who do I want to be helping? And then you can build a coaching program around it. You can fill in the gaps and the spaces, say, here's how, how I'm going to help people. Here's what I've learned. So for example, I have um, a great client out in Western Canada and she's become a coach because about five or six years ago, she was um, let go from her job. And it was a devastating time. She was she lost her confidence and went through a really bad stretch. And she's been able to get back on her feet and turn her life around. And she now has a passion to help other professional women who are going through career transitions like that because she knows how difficult it is where she didn't have that support network. So that's a perfect way to find out what type of coach you should be doing. She's essentially becoming the coach as she wished she had had five or six years ago when she was going through it. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that's a great way of seeing it is because you are, that's the best place to be to say that you're a few pages ahead of the people that you're coaching, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah. There, and I don't mean to say that coaches should be perfect because I've gone through my ups and downs. You know, I've been beat around and kicked around and I had to make a comeback in my life a couple times uh, from some pretty big hits. But I do think at the end of the day, that makes me a better coach, you know, and it, it definitely gives me empathy. I can uh, understand what people are going through if they're going through difficult times. And you know what? I've got a thicker skin, too. I've seen a lot more. I've got those battle scars. So at the end of the day, those things make me a better coach. Yeah. Being local, I, I do know a bit more of the history about those hits that you talk about. So you, you were a very successful real estate agent who built a career in real estate, right? And you built your mm -hmm. own company in real estate, had up to 100 employees, I think I read. Yeah. So you want to talk about a bit about how you recovered from, you know, something that was so good that kind of failed in the end? Oh, God, no, don't make me talk about it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, um, I'll give the Cliff's Notes version for anybody um, who isn't local. If you're local, maybe you were one of the people who want to strangle me. You know, I don't know. I built up a real estate company through about a decade of it where things went just very well. You know, I was working hard, but just grow, grow, grow and didn't have any stumbles and everything went great. And then 2009 hit and um, the local market took um, definitely took a dive, which in a lot of ways it hasn't recovered from. And I picked the wrong time to expand. You okay. know, I, I picked the worst possible time probably to expand. And a lot of projects fell through in my neck of the woods. I was in St. John then, and I'm in Moncton now for the last three years. And um, yeah, just, you know what, the end of the day, bad timing. And, you know, I take ownership of that. It was messy and, you know, like all business closures are, but especially in smaller areas. So I uh, got back on the horse and said, I'm not done with real estate. You know what? I'm sticking with this. I'm going to plow through and market will get better and you know, I can make a go of it. And I went through another stumble in 2012. And it was at that point I said, you know what? I'm done with real estate. 
I'm not having fun with this and okay. I want to do something else with my life. And make a long story short, what got me into coaching was I was helped back to my feet by a couple coaches and mentors. Uh, one of them was is in Fredericton, not too far from our neck of the woods, uh, Rivers Corbett. And he had contacted me when I went through the business closure and I didn't know Rivers before then. Met with him. You know, he made me realize that hey, it's not uncommon for entrepreneurs to go through business closures. The best entrepreneurs have gone through it. You learn from it and you move on. And um, it just was a really big help for me at that time. So I said, you know what? I'd like to help people going through their stuff too, because uh, yeah. I was helped by that. So you know, he remains um, a friend and mentor nowadays, and other people have come into my life as well. And you know what's interesting, which I realized is um, when you go through something like that, you think everybody's against you. But I've had a lot of people who've said to me, you know what, Mark, good on you for trying. We're glad to see you rolling again. And, and you know, you're doing good and uh, you shouldn't feel bad about it. So I have a lot of respect for entrepreneurs and the ones that go through those stumbles because at least they tried something as yeah. opposed to most people that stay at a nine to five job that they hate. And then they just sit back and they criticize the people trying stuff. Yeah. Well, when you were younger, did you always think that you were going to be an entrepreneur? Was that a dream of yours from a young age? Yeah, it was um, not from like eight or nine years old, although I had a paper route. Um, yeah. <laughs> for me, it was really through in high school. I read the book Think and Grow Rich. And that's when entrepreneurship entered my mind after I'd read Napoleon Hill's book uh, back in high school. So when I went into university, I was taking an arts degree, poli-sci major, but it's not like I was planning to go down the street to work at the political science factory. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I knew I wanted to get into business and that's where I decided on real estate. I said, you know what? I want to do something where I'll get rewarded for putting extra effort into it. I don't like being limited that if I work as hard as I possibly can, I'm getting paid X number of dollars an hour, regardless of how well I'm doing or how hard I'm working. You know, I think you should be in a free market should be rewarded for giving more value and putting more work in. So that's where entrepreneurship appealed to me. Okay. So when you were, you know, when, when all of these businesses failed, less in 2012, when you decided you didn't want to go into real estate, you started looking into coaching. Since you were a very successful real estate agent, did that the thought ever come to your mind of saying, maybe I can just go sell houses again? No, I was honestly sick of it. Okay. <laughs> Not to knock. Uh, there's people that enjoy real estate, but that's all I had done my whole adult life since I was 21 years old. Yeah. So I hadn't experienced other things. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be 80 years old logging open house signs to a house on a Sunday afternoon. That's okay. not my idea of my dream. But even the the financial parts of it, that knowing, you know, personally knowing that you're very good at that and you can make good money doing that, except starting a business and coaching that's maybe unsure, or I'm sure there there had to be some moments you were banging your head against the wall of how are you going to make that work? The thing I fell into, and I think a lot of people fall into this, is you get pigeonholed into being, Mark, you're a real estate guy, or Mary, you're a mortgage girl, or Joe, you're a banker, you know, and you think that this is all you can do. And the biggest shift for me mentally is I got away from this local mindset. You know, we live in a beautiful province. I'm not knocking New Brunswick. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. You know, you live here. But there's a lot of people here that are in that traditional mindset where they think that you can't run a business online 
on the internet that you have to be a real estate guy, insurance guy, a lawyer, dentist, doctor, whatever, but they don't think that you can actually do it on the internet. That's not a quote real business. Well, I'm proof that you can, you know, all my clients for the most part are from away. I've got a few local uh, coaches that I work with that are clients, but they came to me more by accident. I don't go after local clients. Um, a lot of my clients are in the States, in the UK. I've got a few in Dubai and other parts of Canada. So they're all over. And so when people say to me, oh, well, you, you know, you can't do that. That's not real business because it's online. It's being done on a computer, laptop or whatever. I'm proof that it, it is a real business. And I think a lot of people, not just here in New Brunswick, I think everywhere have to start opening their eyes and getting out of their local sandboxes where they're restricted by these small areas or in a little pool. And there's a big ocean that's out there and they're not seeing it. They're, they're getting pigeonholed into this local mentality. And yeah. I think more people are getting away from it. I mean, my brother's a perfect example. He edits podcasts now. He handles my show and he's got a ton of other clients. He left a local sales job and everyone said he was nuts. They said, oh, you can't do that. You can't <laughs> make a living that way. Well, he's now replaced his and he's doing better than he was with his local sales job. And he's only a year into it or less than a year. Actually, it was last June uh, from when we're recording this. So okay. it can be done. Awesome. And that's interesting that you mentioned it because to me, living in a small place is ideal for an internet business because your cost of living is, is lower. Yes, you know, that's right. Yeah. So, Mark, if somebody would ask you, what are you passionate about? What would that answer be? I mean, we've already hit on it this interview. You know, it's I'm passionate about entrepreneurship. Um, I have a real passion for when I see especially young people that throw off any of the shackles of tradition and they don't listen to the people saying that you have to go work somewhere when they have the balls to go out there and start their own business. That I love seeing that, you know, and I, I think that entrepreneurs make the world go round. That's what my mentor has often said. But entrepreneurs don't get that kind of support uh, or respect that I think they deserve. So I love it when I see somebody just swinging for the fences. And you know what, if they've failed five times, 10 times or whatever, if they've had a, a life path, like, you know, Abraham Lincoln, before he became president, had how many 15, I think, failures, uh, just kept failing, then he becomes the most powerful man in the world. So I love seeing that with entrepreneurs that can keep picking themselves back up, even if they stumbled. And I think that's my passion. So entrepreneurs and for coaching, I'm a big fan of coaching because I've seen what coaching's done in my life and what it's done in other people's lives as well. Okay. So how did you find the determination to keep going after failures? And I mean, to, were you always a hard worker to be successful in real estate? You definitely have to be someone who's a go-getter and who, you know, who doesn't fear failure. So was it easier for you to start a business after having all those you know, that, that experience at failing, I guess, is what I'm wondering. Well, I didn't have anything to lose because I had lost everything, right? Okay. <laughs> so, um, which makes it easier sometimes if, if you don't have anything to lose. Now, I shouldn't say I didn't have anything to lose because you always are afraid of losing face or, you know, having egg in your face or whatever. But I think for me, I, I, a lot of ways I just got really ticked off because, uh, I was getting attacked so much and kicked around and things. And I was getting called every name in the book that I thought, what the heck? I might as well just go for it again. Okay. You know, I, I've really changed. Um, I used to years ago care more about what people thought about me, you know, and I used to think that, you know, I want everybody to like me and you, you treat people right. And they'll, it's going to work out for you and they'll love you and all this stuff. And my thoughts have really changed in the last few years. You know, I, I'm in some ways a little bit more 
jaded and cynical, it's probably good and bad. But I um, definitely don't care as much what people think now. I, I really just, you know what, I got the people I love. I got my family, my friends, uh, the people have stuck with me. And I don't care for the two, the fair weather, two faced people anymore. I just, I don't care about that. I just, you know, do my thing and, and uh, do it for the people that I love and for me and keep moving on. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of being able to get through the fear of failure, the fear, like you said, of losing face of things like that. And that's personally one thing that I'm always still very afraid of is creating content that's not good. And I often look at a blank page trying to, you know, trying to write something, but I feel what I have to say right now is not perfect. And then I wait for the perfect opportunity of inspiration that just never happens. So yeah. I end up not writing or not creating anything. So did you develop any kind of uh, ways to be able to push through that? Well, um, there's an excellent book I'll recommend yeah, because a lot of people don't know about it, at least here in North America. Uh, but that book's called Thick Face, Black Heart. Okay. And uh, Chin Ning Chu wrote it back in the early 90s, I believe. That book's excellent if you're having an issue with have, uh, being overly concerned what people think. So, I mean, we're all going to have haters. I remember you put a post up, I don't know when it was, six months ago or something, where you had some jerks send you an, an anonymous message or something like that, bashing yeah. you for following your dreams. And I think we talked at that time. I may have sent a quick message to you and kind of said, forget it. He's an idiot. And yeah. do, do your thing. There's a lot of haters out there, and I take a little bit different approach. You know, some people, especially in the coaching world, coaching world is a lot of people that kind of like Mother Teresa, you know, uh, love everybody and <laughs> and all that. You know, it's everyone singing Kumbaya, dance around in a circle, and, and that's fine for them. Yeah. I don't take the approach where you, you kill them with kindness and you, you love them and you try to negotiate with them and uh, convince them that you're a good guy and try to, to talk to them. Some people are just idiots and they're always going to be, especially with the internet, right? That's right. So I really don't give either. I don't give a lot of time or I'll fire back as a sarcastic response, but I don't have any use for these haters because most of them are just so miserable in their own life and they're not chasing their own dreams that they got to try to tear down people who are. And that that's why it really bugged me when I saw the fellow that sent the message to you. Now that message was in French. My French isn't very good, but I got the gist of it, of yeah. what he said. And it just drives me nuts. So, you know, it's, it, that's something I use to motivate me is I had so many haters crawling out of the woodwork and people kicking at me that never tried anything in their whole lives. But yet they were sitting back there and criticizing me because I had the guts to go out and do something. And I use that as motivation. It's I could tell you it's never an issue to get out of bed five o'clock in the morning. If you think of one of their sniveling faces laughing at you thinking, oh, there you are, you're laying in bed you know, you're not going to make it. Well, that that's a perfect kick in the butt to get you out of bed and get you working. Yeah, no. And that, that message that you're referring to, I thought it was kind of funny in a way. I, I initially laughed at it and, and you, definitely any kind of criticism like that you do. There's a part of it that does affect you, but it was so unspecific about nothing that I'm thinking like, <laughs> why should I care about this? And if it was constructive, it, actually, I could have maybe worked on that, yeah, but it was learned, so... Yeah. It was a cheap shot and I thought it was kind of funny, but it still does affect you in any kind of criticism like that. But it hopefully it won't stop you from taking another step. If some anybody listening is does get some criticism and they, they can't really just ignore it. But in the end is like you said, if they're not working at building their career or building something similar, fighting in the same arena as you are, if I quote Brene Brown there that yeah. says, you know, you, you can't if somebody's not fighting in that arena, then why should you care about his opinion? or her opinion, because it's not anything that's really going to affect you because he doesn't know what you're fighting for or what where you're fighting at, right? 
Well, and they're not very busy. I mean, I've never <laughs> seen a successful person, except for maybe Donald Trump. But, uh, <laughs> never, I've never seen a successful person that actually takes time out of their day to send an, an insult, a tweet, an anonymous message to someone because successful people are too busy. Yeah. And, and they're too happy doing what they're doing to actually spend the time doing that. I love when I that. look at anyone who's um, come at me or, or examples I know with entrepreneurs are getting attacked. These people are just uh, some of the... <laughs> They're unhappy, obviously, if they're doing this, because if they're happy with what they're doing, they they wouldn't be spending the time to do it. So, again, I would recommend picking up that book, Thick Face, Black Heart. That's a perfect antidote if you if you want to get a thicker skin and you, you want to be able to face on this. Because if you want to make a go of it, especially nowadays with the Internet, where anybody that's a thousand miles away can insult you, you're really going to have to have a thick skin or it's going to be tough to do anything. You'll just be paralyzed by fear. Yeah, I really I really love that. So if you look at your, your whole business and what you, you did in coaching, what did you feel were the biggest roadblocks in order to be able to make a living from coaching? Well, the top thing three years ago was uh, starting it. I say I, I started it not on a shoestring budget. It was a dental floss budget. You know, um, I just didn't have um, the funds to throw into starting the business with all the fancy bells and whistles. So I had to make up with that for sweat. Uh, equity, you know, and just putting the the labor into it. So that was definitely one of the tough things with it was that there are things that I wanted to do. And my timeline had to be out a little bit further. I'm terribly impatient. So um, I've only been at it a couple of years now. And I have people saying, Oh, my God, you've done so great, Mark and stuff. But I'm like, No, I want to be doing more. You know, (laughs) I always want more and more and more. And in those early stages, there's things I want to do on day one, and I'd have to wait two or three months for different uh, things to come in for revenue so I could reinvest in the business. And, and that was tough because I'm not patient, but you really have to be pretty patient. At the end of the day, if you're living 80, 90, who knows, hopefully 100 years, I'd love to live. Um, at the end of the day, a year or two isn't a big uh, time frame in our lives if you look at the big picture. Yeah. So the impatience of wanting to uh, get things right away, would you say what is your biggest roadblock from what I understood? I think so. I think with my life, and this would be the advice I give for anyone that's gone through any sort of ups and downs. If you've gone through, say, a business closure, a bankruptcy, a divorce, illness, or anything, your life's not going to get better until you start spending more energy focusing on what you want to build in the future as opposed to the past. So I don't think about the past too much. I use it at times for motivation, but I'm not sitting around, you know, with my uh, curtains closed at my house, um, drinking my face off and crying about the past. Like, you know, the past is the past. I've learned some great lessons from that. But that's when I noticed my life really started to turn around was when I started taking energy away from fighting these old battles in the past and thinking about things in the old the old times and started focusing more on the future. Then things started to change. And it's almost like a scale. So make sure you're putting enough energy and focus on the future, not the past. And was it easy to stay productive while you were working at that? Have pr- productive days every day, you know, seven days a week? Or how did you? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, when I got out of real estate, I had a period there where I wasn't doing anything. Um, there was the time in between where it was like I was used to going 100 miles an hour, but then the business stopped, right? Yeah. And I actually had less energy when I was... I didn't have um, anything to put my energy into. You know, you'd think, oh, you'd have more energy, Mark. You could take a little bit of a breather, relax. I was, I had less energy. So coaching in a lot of ways, I say it saved my life. And that's not an exaggeration because it gave me something that I could pour all of this energy into. I had all this 
energy that I need to put somewhere. But when I didn't have a vehicle to put that energy, it was very depressing, right? Yeah. Uh, so when I finally had a vehicle for it, something to put it towards, then that was the best medicine I could possibly have. So the action's the best thing. The worst thing you can do is sit around, stew, uh, overanalyze. Uh, yeah. the, the best thing you can do is find something to work on. Even you're going to make mistakes, you're going to hit roadblocks, you're going to stumble, but at least you're doing something okay. and you're taking action. So what was your secret to taking action? Well, I had to eat. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like to have food and I like to have a roof over my head. (laughs) Okay. Um, I had a period of time in between after real estate that I, um, I got a sales position with a telecommunications company and that's actually what first brought me to Moncton. And, um, you know, it wasn't a bad gig. It was actually, a lot of people thought it was a pretty sweet gig. It was uh, a sales job where I had a home office uh, had to travel a little bit once a month or so, but it, it was really a great job. A lot of people here would have loved to stay there for the rest of their lives, but it just didn't fire me up. But it did give me that runway that I could build my coaching up and I didn't have to worry about not eating. Okay. <laughs> so so that's what I did. I started building my coaching on the side uh, with whatever hours I could squeeze away from uh, my sales position. And then I always said that once I, my revenue from coaching passed what I was making with my sales job, I said, I'm jumping and I'm going full time for coaching. And that's what happened. Once it passed it, I said, okay, I'm done. And then suddenly I could put all my time into coaching. And um, so if you're looking to build something up, you don't have to quit your job today. You don't have to march in and tell your boss off because then that's going to put a lot of pressure on you because tomorrow you're going to have to be making sales and getting clients. So I think it's better if you can build something up on the side and then you can get it worked out, get the kinks worked out. Then you've got a real business. Then you can transition over when you're ready. Okay, definitely. And I think there is some truth to that as right now I am working full time on this, but at the same time, having a lot of time kind of it, it makes it easy to procrastinate because you don't necessarily know what the next step is and what you de- need to do next in order to grow your business. So you kind of fumble along, right? You you spend a lot of time overanalyzing and procrastinating that you're not taking in the next step. So do you have any kind of advice for someone who's in a similar situation where they're kind of looking for the next step? They kind of know what they want to do, but at the same time, there's so many different opportunities and venues that they think they need to explore that they just spend their time threading water. Yeah, I mean... What I recommend doing is look at the things that you enjoy doing on your off hours. So take a look at the blogs you read, the websites that you visit, the books that you read. Because a lot of people say, well, I don't know what I want to do. I don't have any passions. Well, everybody's got passions. Yeah. And and that passion can be monetized. I mean, there's people making millions of dollars on YouTube a year playing video games and uh, screen sharing or uh, saving their, you know, um, a video of their game. Right. Yeah. And you've got all these people watching them play Super Mario World <laughs> or something or Call of Duty. And they're actually monetizing that. So look at what you're doing. What do you really look forward to doing when you're at your job and you can't wait to get home to do blank? What is it? Is there, yeah. is there something in particular? And there's got to be a way to monetize it because somebody's already done it before. Yeah. But also don't worry about people want to have success right out of the gate and they're worried if it's the right move or not. Just get started doing something. You know, when I started coaching, people looked at me like I was crazy. What the heck are you talking about? Because even three years ago, it wasn't as big as it is now. Well, now they're not saying that. Now they see that I made a go of it. But back then, they're like, what the heck are you talking about? Coaching, that's not a real business. Okay. So don't don't get too worried about it. Just get out there and do something. Something's better than nothing. Yeah. And how long were you coaching before you started your podcast? 
that was about a year. Okay. Yeah. In 2014, I started the podcast. So what made you decide to want to start a podcast? Well, with the coaching, this goes back to where I mentioned that I'm not the most patient guy. I decided I really wanted to get it going quicker because it was growing, but it was growing slowly. And I thought I need another avenue, somewhere else to get my message and my name out there. So I was trying to decide. I thought, okay, am I going to really hammer the videos and do YouTube? Is it going to be blogging? Is it going to be books and eBooks? What's it going to be? And I'd always listened to podcasts since I think 2007. I started listening to them, which was fairly early in the, in podcasting terms. Yeah. But I had no clue how to do a podcast. I just had listened to a bunch of them. And so um, that was it. I didn't overthink it. I just uh, I joined a group program showing how to podcast and just got rolling with it quickly. I didn't overthink it. Okay. And so th- that goes to another point that you're going to have to probably invest in yourself. Um, a lot of people don't want to spend... If it's maybe a couple hundred dollars to get started with something, because like, oh, geez, I, you know, I don't have the money or I just can't spend it now. But you, you, a lot of times you do have to invest it. There's some great free stuff out there, but I actually had to pay something to get started. But by paying, it made sure that I did it as well. And um, I just dove into it. And, and that's how I got into podcasting. Yeah. And there's definitely a, a commitment side of things when you're putting your money into it, whether when it's free, you kind of don't feel that you need to make that investment pay off. I think that's a big part that comes into it. When you yeah, pay for something and it guilts you into it. If you know you spent 500 bucks and you've got these files sitting on your computer, these videos, you're yeah. probably going to do it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So why did you decide to do it every day? Because that's an undertaking by itself. And that's a lot of work that takes away from what you wanted to do, which would be coaching, right? Yeah. Well, I, I tend to bite off more than I can do. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've said I'm the typical entrepreneur where I jump off a cliff and I hope I can build a plane on the way down. So okay. luckily, I, I was able to get the plane flying. I am making some changes. Uh, you know, I've done, as we record this, I've done four, roughly 420 episodes. Well, I, I did seven days a week for the first 200 episodes. Okay. And then I scaled it back to five days a week after I spoke with the community because people said, Mark, we can't keep up with it. The coaches who are listening said, we can't listen to all seven a week. Okay. Just recently now, I'm going through another change where I need more time to finish a book that I'm working on and I'm getting really busy with my coaching clients. So it's I'm feeling like a hamster in a hamster wheel five days a week. So I've just changed it. Last week was the first week we're doing two shows a week. Okay. So we're cramming as much value into two shows a week, but we've got you know almost 500 episodes. We've got enough of a base there that I'm happy with that. Now we'll go to twice a week. And, and again, that just comes down to you have to constantly tweak and change things and modify it if you see that there's a need for it. Okay. And for me, it was time. And you know, the community response Bonded. The people I was listening to were then saying, yeah, we couldn't keep up with five days a week, Mark. So two's awesome. We can listen to all of them. Perfect. Okay, cool. So in, in doing all those over 400 episodes, what do you think is the biggest lessons that you've learned from all of these interviews that you did? Oh, I mean, it's tough because I've had 400 and some successful coaches on there and I've learned so much. So to try to narrow it down to one, yeah. I think a big thing that I've pulled from it is that the most successful people out there tend to have a bias towards action. Yeah. They don't procrastinate. They don't dilly dally. They don't worry what people are going to think or if they're going to fail, they just do it. So I, action, I'm a huge fan of that. Um, the, the clients I've done best with me have been the ones that have just taken action. They haven't second guessed, uh, should I be doing this? Or what if this happens? They just do it. And I think that's the biggest piece of advice I'd probably would have taken from all those interviews. Okay. 
How do you feel that doing all those interviews let you grow in your own business? Well, the interesting thing about it is um, I've been coaching for three years, but I probably have more experience than people have been coaching 10 years because I've crammed so much into that. You know, like every year I'm talking with over a thousand coaches between interviews, clients, and then other calls that I'm making. So I'm cr- I've crammed a lot into just a couple years. And it was the same way with my real estate life. You know, my first couple of years of real estate, I sold a ton of houses because I just worked so hard at it and stuff. And um, I poured a lot into a short period of time. So I'm a big fan. If you could do more in a shorter period of time, you can really lessen that learning curve and it makes it a lot better. So that was the advantage for it. But I would recommend for anyone, if you're thinking of doing a podcast, don't jump out and do seven days a week because you'll, <laughs> you'll have a nervous breakdown. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> no, um, you, you can accomplish it doing one a week. Um, I say at least once a week should be your frequency. You could yeah. do a lot with a weekly show. Yeah, definitely. And I, I agree with that. And I think once a week sometimes can be, and I'm trying to get ahead in my podcasting at one a week and I'm still kind of struggling with that. Well, I guess at the same time as you learn efficiencies in doing five times a week or seven times a week, but definitely it is a lot of work, maybe more than people assume if they just decide to jump in. But you have that personality of biting off more than you can chew, as you said. But what do you think of work-life balance? Do you think that to make it in an internet business, you, you really have to be working, you know, 70 hours, 80 hours a week? Well, a lot of people getting into it uh, have read the four-hour work week with Tim Ferriss. Yeah. And they want to work four hours a week and then be sipping drinks on the beach and watching the money roll into their bank account. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, not saying it can't be done, but that's a lot of times catching lightning in a bottle. You know, my first, I'm now making changes where I'm scaling back. I'll never be a four-hour work week guy because I would go crazy. But I also don't want to be working 100 hours every week either. So I think there has to be a happy medium. Yeah, Tim Ferriss is not working four hours a week either, right? This so that's- podcast alone is more than four hours. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, right. yeah, it's, yeah. Great. it's great in theory. So, I mean, I've heard of successful entrepreneurs who've done very well, and they have a great system in place now after a number of years that they only have to work 15 to 20 targeted hours a week because they've got the support system to do it. But I'm always a big fan of actually doing something that you love so much that you wouldn't want to be doing it just four hours a week. Because I don't know about you, I would be getting bored. If I was working four hours a week and I had 164 hours of free time, I I wouldn't know what to do with myself because everyone else would be working and doing stuff with their businesses. So I think it's got to be a bit of a somewhere a happy medium in there. But in the early stages, you are going to have those 70, 80 hour work weeks. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. But you should be making changes as you go along to improve. And, and that's what I'm doing now. I've um, hired people who are revamping my schedule and, and changing some things I have to do because I, I don't I can't sustain 100 hour weeks for no. You know, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm 37 now. So I'm not 21 and, and wanting to work 100 hour weeks all the time either. Yeah, I, I feel that the newer generation and, you know, the, how they say that the newer generation is lazy. But I think we're just recognizing that there's more to life than working all the time. But I, I really love in, in your the way you're saying it, that you want to be doing something that you don't see it as work. Right. And I think that's the goal for everyone trying to use their passion and, and finding a way to make a living from it, that they're actually having fun doing it, right? Yeah, well, it's hard when people say to me, how many hours a week do you work, Mark? It's really hard for me to define because let's say if I'm taking a Saturday to work on my book, 
for example, or to read a book that I've wanted to read, and that's a business-related book. Well, is that considered work? Some people would say it is, but then others would say it isn't. It doesn't feel like work when I'm writing. I love writing. I love creating content. So it's really hard for me to say how many hours a week I'm working because the line's not always clear there. I think if you're doing the right thing, then your work and life really kind of blend together. You can combine the two. And that's my goal is to always make sure I'm doing the most of that. Yeah. And so you're mentioning that you're writing a book. Was it something that you always wanted to do, write a book, or is just kind of a business decision to that it's a good idea to write a book? Yeah, I always wanted to write a book, um, even when I first started coaching in that first year. But I felt in the early stages that um, I needed a little bit more time to gather experiences, thoughts, ideas. So now that I've worked with a lot of people as a coach, I've got a lot of stories, a lot of ideas. I've flashed those ideas out. I feel that now I'm ready. And maybe where I wasn't, say, back in 2014. So, yeah, yeah, it's always been on the agenda. I would love to write books. I mean, one of the coaches I know I've had on the show, Steve Chandler, he's big in the coaching world. And Steve didn't write his first book till I think he was 50. And he's written 30 books now. He's, I think, 71 years old. Um, so I said, I don't want to be 50 when I start, but he's just going like crazy, right? Like he's killing forests, writing trees here, (laughs) writing books, uh, killing a bunch of trees. So, uh, yeah, I've always wanted to write a book and I'm looking forward to getting it done. Okay. And you enjoy the writing process? I do. Yeah. I love it. Does it come easy to you to sit down and write? Most of the time, uh, there's some days that, uh, I'm just not, I'm not in it and I don't bother beating my head against the wall. Uh, Some of my best, most creative periods come after if I spend time out in nature. Uh, I know it sounds kind of funny, but if I'm on the beach going for a walk or I'm out getting exercise or whatever, it seems like that stirs the creative juices and I can't wait to get in and get writing. So sometimes it's just not happening for whatever reason. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was going through a cold and flu. I tried to get work done on the book and I just couldn't get my brain in that boat. You know, I was just sick or whatever. Well, today I got a bunch of writing done earlier because I'm back on my feet. So I think if you're no sense beating your head against the wall, if it's not happening, get out, do something else. But I'm also not the type to some people like to record their, um, you know, they use dragon dictation or yeah. something like that, a little handheld recorder. That's not how I write. I can't write that way. I jot down a few notes to stir my memory and then I hit the keyboard and get going. OK, so do you have any routine? I know yet you uh, you strongly believe in batching, but do you have any kind of routines that you put together that really helped you be more productive in your weeks? Yeah, well, batching is a big one for anyone. You mentioned batching. If anyone doesn't know what it is, it basically means that I use certain chunks of certain days to do activities. So I record my podcast interviews on Tuesdays. You know, Mondays are heavy coaching days. Tuesdays are interviews and so on. You know, one of my days are for discovery calls. So you can get into the flow that way. That would be the best um Thing that I would probably that I could think of in terms of strategies. Uh, the other strategy, which has been really big, I started doing this last fall, is I turn notifications off my phone from social media. Because okay. my Facebook, every two seconds, it was pinging and beeping, and Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, it was just too much. I couldn't get into a flow. So I took those off, and I still probably go on to Facebook more than I should because I've got a a large Facebook group. If anyone wants to check it out, it's called The Coaching Jungle. Um, but uh, with the Facebook group and stuff, I do have a lot of things to do there. But I've definitely been able to manage it a little bit better with Facebook and social media that I'm not being held hostage by it every time it beeps. Great. That's a great, great advice. And I think it's some, some advice I should probably look into because I, I do spend too much time on Facebook <laughs> as well. 
Yeah. But uh, I really appreciate your time, Mark. Is there any kind of closing comments that you'd like to send to my listeners that they can engage with you or engage with your products? Well, I mean, if uh, you want to connect, naturalborncoaches.com is the central hub. Uh, so we're going through a site revamp. It'll look prettier later this year. But um, naturalborncoaches.com. And as I said, the Facebook group is really where I'm connecting with a lot of people. So if you go to thecoachingjungle.com, thecoachingjungle.com that'll forward to the Facebook group and you can join in and we've got about 1500 coaches as we record this now awesome well thanks a lot Mark and I really appreciate the time you spent with us and uh, there's a lot of value to have, be had here so I hope people enjoyed it as much as I did yeah, thanks for so thank you Mark Hey there, and thanks for listening to the whole episode of the Hired by Passion podcast with my guest, Mark Moini. I really enjoyed our chat because business coaching is something that I always kind of thought about and, and chatting with him really made me think that maybe it's something I should consider more. Some of the parts in the interview that I really liked was when Mark said that, especially in smaller towns, people tend to want to pigeonhole you in specific professions. You're a real estate agent, you're an engineer, you're a doctor, you're, you're definitely something specific And usually the smaller the town is, the less likely these specific careers are going to be internet based. And I think that makes it a bit harder for people in a small town to make a living on the internet because they don't see it as a possibility. And it's less likely that they'll have the opportunity to network with someone who's making a living online. That's one of the reasons I wanted to create this podcast was to be able to create the opportunity of people living in smaller places to be able to listen to these people talk and listen to their story and try to learn from it as well as be inspired to be able to do the same thing. I really enjoyed Mark talking about what was the number one lesson he's learned doing his podcast for over 400 episodes and to see that the number one indicator in success was taking action. And how that he noticed in his coaching client that the ones who take action are the ones who find the most success. And that's something I've thought about a lot lately. And I know it to be true that to be able to find success, you just need to take action. And I tend to procrastinate a lot trying to find the ideal solution or the ideal way of doing things before I take action. And that's just not the way. You just need to take action and to take consistent action in order that to get better and to be able to create that masterpiece that you're hoping one day you'll be able to do. Finally, the last piece of advice from this interview that I really held on to is that I probably should take away my Facebook notifications on my phone. And I did. I finally turned off my Facebook notifications on my phone to be able to maybe procrastinate a bit less when I'm trying to take action. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would really appreciate it at the bottom of my heart if you could share it with other people so you can get the word out, so we can grow the community. And I think the bigger we can grow this community, the better it is for everyone listening. So if you can please just share this episode, I really appreciate that. And if it's your first time listening, there's already 14 more episodes that you might enjoy. So I would really want to encourage you to check those out. And maybe there's other ones that you would really enjoy as well. I also really want to invite you to the Facebook group to connect with me. I really want to chat with you guys. Let me know what you're struggling with, what you'd like to hear from the show, and how we can generally improve the show that I'm putting out. You can find the group by going to Hired by Passion slash Facebook, or just search for Hired by Passion on Facebook itself. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Hired by Passion podcast. If you enjoyed the show, I would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review on iTunes. 